Hey everybody, welcome to the Bearded Moose and the Outlaw Podcast. I'm your host, Josh, or the Bearded Moose, and I have with me the Outlaw, Jesse Dice. What's going on, man? What's up, dude? Not much, dude. So we are going to come here and we're talking about XFL. For the love of football, it's back. It's, uh, you know, it's 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 better than ever. Um, it's not as gimmicky. Um, I think the product is phenomenal. So we're going to break down some games. We're going to cover some stuff about the league itself. Uh, and really, hopefully, everybody enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, just real quick, what did you think of them? I enjoyed everything I watched this weekend. I thought we had a really high quality uh, product out there on the field. I don't think uh, I don't think any of the games were too sloppy. Um, I was excited to see it, and honestly, I loved everything about it from the way from the way it went down to the production. I couldn't agree more. Um, I, I like how you use the word like sloppy. That was something I was worried about coming into it. You know, new league. Some of these guys haven't played a lot of football in a long time. Uh, if you were a fan of the AAF, the Alliance of American Football, you probably noticed quite a few names on there. So you had some guys that played professional football last year. But uh, honestly, with like the exceptions of, I believe, like the Battlehawks game, I mean, not a ton of penalties, not a ton of like really bonehead mistakes. Um, but that, I think, goes to the level of like coaching that we have in this league. We'll talk more about that in a second. We're going to jump into some game breakdowns first, uh, and we're going to go ahead and start with Saturday. Now, I know you were busy, you were working and stuff, um, which is kind of crazy because uh, having Saturday football games is, is different. It's like college uh, and then NFL, but all in one league. So we do have Saturday games, we have Sunday games, uh, be two of, on each day. So that is kind of neat, too, uh, especially for guys like you and I that work on weekends. Uh, so I was able to watch a lot of the Saturday games. I know you were able to watch the Sunday games. So we're going to break it down kind of according. I'm going to let you cover a lot of the Sunday, and I'll cover some of these Saturday games. If that's cool with you. That sounds good to me. Let's get into it. All right. So our very first game, the very first game of the new XFL 2020, we had the Los Angeles Wildcats versus the Houston. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Backing up. I'm already messed up. This is this is craziness. I'm more sloppy than the XFL has been so far. The very first game was the Seattle Dragons versus the DC Defenders. <laughs> We're gonna get this right, don't y'all worry. Uh, this game I was I was stupid excited about. I mean, this was the first one we were gonna get a chance to see all these new innovations. We were gonna see the gameplay. Um, I am a big fan of Brandon Silvers. I know that we've talked, you know, off air about this quite a bit. That I think Brandon Silvers is a really good quarterback, um, and I was really excited to see how this was going. I mean, you've obviously got Cardell Jones, who was, uh, you know, the the, the miraculous uh, third string quarterback that that just completely dominates in the in the in the college football playoffs and wins a championship and really shows that this is why we needed college football playoffs. And I mean, so you've got this really cool dynamic of small school versus big school um, uh, quarterbacks. That is with silver being at, at Troy and, and, and Cardell Jones at Ohio state. So it's really, really interesting. We talked even as far as preseason rankings uh, that some of these, these two teams in particular were probably some of our biggest question marks. And so we got a chance to see right off the bat what was going on. Um, I'll just go ahead and give you the final score. was 19 Seattle, 31 DC Defenders. Um, the score, though, 
doesn't quite tell the whole story. Um, uh, just really quick, it was something I had tweeted. If you follow the Ambush Sports uh, Twitter on Saturday, you would have seen some of these little stats. But Seattle's offense was really clicking. They had a very good rushing attack. Um, they ended up going for over 300 yards of total offense. Uh, but both teams were pretty good. I think uh, I think DC was sitting right about 295, right about that 300 mark as well. So, the, I mean, a game that's supposed to be pushing offense, this really was showing off some offense. You had a pretty solid passing attack. You got a chance to see uh, Jones and the defenders uh, with some of these designed runs and that, that big arm that we knew that Cardo Jones has. So that was definitely fun. The rushing attack uh, for especially the Dragons was really, really good. Uh, they had all three of their running backs went for over four yards a carry. Um, and uh, now some of that was a little inflated. You got Williams, uh, who only had like three carries. I think it was like 16, 17 yards, something like that. But nonetheless, um, very effective running. Kenneth Farrow really showing that he was uh, really made his a name for himself as a running back in the game, the AAF with the Seattle, uh, not the Seattle, but he is on Seattle, on San Antonio Commanders. Um, I would know I had him on my fantasy football team. He helped me win few, a few games uh, for the AAF uh, Fantasy Football League. But uh, really was showing that he's a, he's a very shifty runner, made a couple really big dynamic runs, had a long of like 19, 20 yards uh, where he really just juked out a couple defenders. Um, so the rushing attack for Seattle was really good. Silvers was relatively effective. He did have two picks, uh, one of them just an absolute crazy play where the, the running an out route, the receiver slipped and – on an out route and your receiver slips, who's the only guy standing there at your cornerback, and there's nobody in front of him. So it did go for the pick six. Really two defensive slash special teams errors uh, really led to this D.C. Uh, victory. You had a blocked punt early in the game that was recovered for a touchdown. You had the pick six that went back for a touchdown. Uh, all in all, it was really freaking fun, though. Like, I think D.C.'s got a lot of work that you got to do on offense, but that defense is one of, after watching uh, the games this weekend, I think that D.C. defenders defense, uh, maybe not the most athletically talented, but definitely an emotionally driven, um, momentum-based defense. And it's like every time they'd get one stop, they'd get a second. Every time they'd get that second, they'd get that third. And they just rolled and rolled and rolled. Um, with uh, especially coming into the second half and just a dominating uh, uh, defensive stand and performance throughout that second half. Uh, I'll go ahead and move over to uh, what I mistakenly said was the first game of the XFL, but it was on the first day, so I'm not too crazy. We had the Los Angeles Wildcats and the Houston Roughnecks. I did not get a chance to watch the games Sunday, all of them. I watched bits and pieces, but I will have to say... That unless something crazy happened on Sunday, this right here was my favorite game. Um, the Houston Roughnecks just put on a clinic. Um, not taking anything away from the Wildcats, but this is what the XFL is about. They had the whole uh, Tier 1 quarterbacks, again, much like the AAF, where they assigned initial quarterbacks. Um, here they had Tier 1 quarterbacks, guys that were supposed to be like the, the, the top dogs, uh, that were going to lead their team. And here we have the, the, the Houston Roughnecks who did not play their Tier 1. Their Tier 1 lost out to a drafted prospect of that Phase 1 draft uh, in P.J. Williams. Now, P.J. Williams, if you don't know him, another small school guy, another Brandon Silvers-esque 
uh, player, went to Temple, really did, I mean, if you if you follow that, if you follow UCF, USF, and all that, you know that Temple's um, a pretty solid school the last couple years. A lot of that based on B.J. Williams. He wins the starting job over Connor Cook, and rightfully so. The dude played amazing, amazing football. He was 23 for 29, 272, uh, had four touchdowns. He did throw a pick at the end. Um, it was kind of a bonehead mistake. It wasn't the best throw I've seen, but I think they were playing with a couple of plays, a couple of different reads, and seeing if they could do something while they had, once they had this 20-point lead. It was at the end of the game. It didn't really cost anything. The defense came back at the ball back. Uh, but nonetheless, P.J. Walker looked fantastic. I just cannot speak uh, any higher about this guy. Um, Ambush Sports does a Player of the Week, and I know my front runner for Player of the Week is P.J. Uh, Walker already and if I said PJ Williams earlier my bad it's PJ Walker um, but let's talk about the Wildcats as well Wildcats another team kind of with some quarterback uh, dilemma uh, Lewis Perez was there he traded away they get Chad Knopf uh, Knopf is here for like four or five practices wins the starting job looks really good honestly for five practices looked really really well was able to move the ball was able to score some touchdowns um, if I can if I could ask for anything from Kanoff and the Wildcats, is I think he needs to rein those emotions in a little bit. I think he's too much of an emotional player. And it started to show. When he was cool, calm, collected, the dude was just delivering strikes. He was doing well, getting outside the pocket, making some runs, extending plays. Um, but as that game progressed, and again, a lot of these guys playing football for the first time in a while, professional football too, they're trying to make their dreams come true. I know where the emotion comes from. Would love to see him dial that back. And I think this L.A. Wildcats team could be super super legit um i want to go over just some team stats really quick on that one uh the roughnecks did have 315 yards the wildcats 291 so everything the xfl is trying to do with making this uh an offensive based league we're starting to see that i mean even in a team there's a discrepancy in 20 points it was 17 wildcats 37 roughnecks uh, but even with like even with the discrepancy in score we, we're still seeing yardages are very similar. Um, I know, Jesse, you're going to get into it a little bit where you were talking about one game in particular that it was actually quite lopsided when it came to total yardage and plays and stuff. But for the most part, I mean, three out of four of these games, everything stayed pretty stinking close. Uh, so I think that's really cool. I think it's great for the league. Um, a league that was definitely offensive-based. We really had some great defensive plays. The defensive side of the, of the, of the game was really fun. And we'll talk about some more of the innovations and special teams here when we finish the breakdowns. But, Jesse, we're on to Sunday, dude. I'm going to send it over to you because you watch these games. And I knew you were texting me about them yesterday. And you were impressed. So take it away. Yes, sir. I was uh, I, I was really excited to see Tampa Bay take the field yesterday. As the, For those of you that don't know, I'm a Tampa Bay native. And I always love to see a Tampa Bay team take the field. Unfortunately, it was not a good day for us yesterday. Um, the Guardians beat the Vipers 23-3, to and watching the game, um, there were a few things that stood out. First off, I mentioned that, I mentioned that it wasn't a sloppy weekend, but it kind of was for Tampa Bay. Um, Aaron Murray had two interceptions in the game, the first of which was just a, a very ill-advised, what were you thinking kind of a throw, where he throws it up for grabs in the end zone. But he didn't spot it in the back of the end zone like you would expect. He threw it kind of in the middle, and two guys jumped in and took it from him. The second throw was just a... It was just a really bad overthrow, and I can't really say much else for New York other than they were very opportunistic in this game. 
Um, they scored a touchdown on a busted coverage. They had five sacks. They had two interceptions. And most importantly, Tampa Bay went 0 for 4 in the red zone. And anytime you wind up scoring less points than you had red zone opportunities, it's not a good day for your team. Um, but the really, really funny thing about it was looking looking at the team statistics to this game, um, Tampa Bay outrushed the Guardians 150-45. to 45. Uh, They ran almost twice as many plays and outgained them 394 to 226. So it was kind of funny to watch to watch a game where the Tampa Bay Vipers could move the ball up and down the field, but just couldn't seem to take advantage of a, uh, of a game in crucial moments. Uh, one thing I will say, though, and I'm sure I'm not the only Tampa Bay fan saying it today, is Quentin Flowers deserves to have a bigger presence in that game. I know he started the week as the third-string quarterback, and he probably hasn't had much time to practice, so they're probably holding him back until they can get him a little more, a little more uh, reps so they can feel a little more comfortable with him. But it felt like every time he came in the game, it brought just a little bit of a spark to the team. So I'm kind of excited to see next week if he's going to get a bigger role. On the New York side of things, Matt McGloin, um, he played fairly well. He went 15-29, had 180 yards and a, and a passing touchdown as well as a rushing touchdown. Um, they had a lot of drives stall out, but New York was very op- opportunistic and... Um, when, when they needed a big play, they were able to find one. And then in the fourth quarter, I'm sorry, correct that, third quarter, um, Tampa Bay fumbles the ball, and they were able to score a scoop and six on it, and that was basically what sealed the game for Tampa Bay. Scratch that. I already messed up. The Guardians. <laughs> well... Actually, I guess I did have that right because Tampa Bay because it sealed Tampa Bay's fate. But moving on to the St. Louis Battlehawks and the Dallas Renegades, this game was a knockdown, dragout slugfest. There wasn't a whole lot of points scored. It was a very, very defensive game, but it was clear you were watching two teams that were uh, that were very, very close in talent. And one thing that stood out to me in this game is like all week I felt like I've watched a lot of watched a lot of passing the ball. Watched a lot of wide-open offense. Watched a lot of new-age football. And the Battlehawks were going seriously old-school. They, they were actually one of the few teams this week that ran for more yards than they threw for them. Uh, 191 to 183. And they just, they just, there was just a commitment there to pound the rock. And it was exciting to see in a league where everybody was trying to throw the football all over the place. The final score of this game ended up being 15 to 9. Going with the old adage that two touchdowns beats two field goals. Um, The Renegades had some some good drives going, but unfortunately they just couldn't seal it in the red zone and they ended up having to settle for three field goals. And an offensive passing attack that was kind of weird to watch because I think this is the first time I've ever seen this. But Philip Nelson, the starting quarterback, went 33 for 42 for 205 yards. (laughs) I don't think I've ever seen that in a game before. Um, on the other side of the ball, you had a guy named Jordan uh, Tayamu. I think I pronounced that correctly. Um, he brought a he, he brought a spark to the offense, and it was kind of cool to watch. He went twenty of twenty seven for two hundred nine yards. He had a touchdown, and he also had eighty yards on the ground, which I would have to fact check this, but he I think that led all rushing quarterbacks this week. 
Um, another guy I was excited to see in this, um, growing up in Florida, big SEC fan, I was excited to see how Matt Jones was going to do, and he didn't really disappoint. Yeah, he, he only averaged four yards a carry, but he was pretty consistent throughout, and he ran for he ran for almost ninety yards. Um, the other thing that stuck out to this game was probably one of the funniest moments I've ever seen in commentating regarding a punt. <laughs> um, in the third quarter, um, Marquez King, the, you may remember that name because he played for the Raiders, he kicks a beautiful 64-yard field, uh, punt that lands at the one-yard line and dies. And for some reason... They decide to try and down it, pushing it into the end zone, which in the NFL would have only been a 19-yard mistake, but in the XFL, that's a 34-yard mistake. The funniest part of the whole thing was watching the commentator on the sideline, who, if you didn't know, was Pat McAfee, absolutely losing his cool, wanting to know why that guy touched the football. It, it brought up, it was probably one of the best moments of the whole game, in all honesty, with the exception of that beautiful touchdown pass from Jordan Tamu in the fourth quarter. So overall, it was a very fun Sunday. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And to I went ahead and fact checked while you were talking, and you were correct. Uh, uh, that does lead all rushing quarterbacks. As a matter of fact, he was the third leading rusher in the league uh, this past uh, week, only behind uh, the Vipers, uh, Davion Smith, who had seventy nine, and of course his own running back Matt Jones, who had. Uh, 85. He finished the game with 77. So yeah, um, definitely added uh, uh, definitely added a different dynamic in a league that we're looking for this innovation. And uh, I mean, not to not to piggyback, but kind of even talking about the Quentin Flowers thing in the Tampa Bay game. I'm surprised that uh, yeah that that, that didn't really uh, that he didn't get more of a role carved out. If he was as successful as you saw, and then of course now that we've seen the Battle Hawks and what Jordan Tiamo could do with uh, throwing and and running that football, um, it might not have been the prettiest game, uh, especially based off of score, but uh, it worked. It, it was effective, and uh, they got the first win. I mean, there's only only a couple teams that have got uh, they're sitting at at one and zero, and the other four are at zero and one, and uh, nobody wants to sit at zero and one on week one of a brand new league. Oh, absolutely nobody. But I do have to say one of my biggest surprises coming out of week one was looking at the rosters. I had a very serious quarterback issue um, as far as Seattle was concerned. And by that, I mean he was one of the few teams that started a quarterback I'd never heard of before. So I did have to go back and do some research on him. And it looks like he or, and he played for Ole Miss, which might be why I've never heard of him before because Ole Miss has been absolutely terrible the last few years. True, and if I heard correctly, like the five minutes that I was able to watch that game um, before it was, you know, putting uh, putting babies to bed and, and, and going to bed myself, um, if I'm not mistaken, they were saying something that he had played too many games his first year at a military academy and that went against his eligibility. Um, I believe it was Pat McAfee that actually said that this kid had the, the NFL size and skill set to, to play again at, at, at that level and uh, that if he would have been able to, to grab that last year if you will uh, of eligibility that he might have gotten more attention uh, from NFL scouts but I guess he really only had that one year because of eligibility issues transfer issues stuff like that 
Um, so yeah, it was another guy. I'm very, very, uh, I didn't know much about either. So, uh, but it was, it was good to see him. I mean, he put on a show and he did well. Um, he, he, you know, he, he, he really led his team down the field. Again, it wasn't the prettiest, but, uh, heck, you know, this is week one. Some of them jitters are gone. Maybe they'll start to open up that offense a little bit more on both sides. And, and if for the renegades, you know, Landry Jones coming back, hopefully next week, um, it'd be really exciting to see, uh, what level, uh, change happens with the renegades as well but let's go ahead and move on from the games and let's go ahead and talk a little bit about the league i want to hit a couple of things that you really loved and a couple of things that you maybe didn't love you didn't necessarily hate but but whatever you know something that that uh just didn't strike you the way that you thought it might or just something that came out you didn't like as much um i'll let you start give me something that you just absolutely loved about the the, the new xfl well there's a lot of things to choose from here, and I, I think honestly, like I would probably have to go with two that I really enjoyed. Number one, I, I gotta say I love the new kickoff format. Obviously, me and you have talked off air about this one before, and there was a concern that this new kickoff format would be a little overpowered. And honestly, I was quite relieved to see that not only was it not overpowered, but after a week of watching it, it's kind of something I hope the NFL would decide to implement in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, that was um. I think I wrote an article about it last week, maybe a week and a half ago, talking about some rules. And that was one that I wasn't sure about until I saw it. And I, I definitely have to agree with you. Um, really, really enjoyed it. And, uh, yeah, I don't think I would mind seeing that move up to the next level. No, honestly, it was a lot of fun. It was really cool to watch. Um, I do think, though, I would like to see some way for them to implement a off, an onside kick into this situation because I think that would add to the uh, add to the excitement. But the other thing I enjoyed about it was the fact that we've now added kicking skill into the into something that needs to be equated for. Like we were talking about how if you manage to roll the ball out of if you manage to roll the ball out of bounds in the end zone, it gets a different spot than if you just kick it out in the back of the end zone. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of my favorite um, pieces, and we saw a lot of those repercussions slash rewards. Uh, in that first week, which was amazing, we saw how how detrimental it is to kick that ball out of bounds. Um, it moves up to to across the 50 yard line, across the 50 yard line. It goes to the 45. Um, if you kick it into the end zone, it goes to the 35. If you uh, the 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 I'm sorry, that first mistake that brings it across the uh, the to the 45 uh, was not a kick out of bounds. It was actually a kick that did not go past the 20 yard line. Um, a kick out of bounds is 15 yards from wherever it went out of bounds. Um, but yeah, you were talking about rewards. If you can kick it and that ball lands in the field of play and then rolls into the end zone, it gets the, 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 the receiving team starts at the 15. So you have these minor major touchbacks, these repercussions, these rewards. It definitely adds a level of skill to a, to a, a part of the ball game that really doesn't have it on the kicker side, not taking away from kickers and their skill set. But when it comes to kickoff, it literally is just put foot on ball. That's it. That's all you're doing. You're trying to kick it through the back of the end zone, so there is no chance to return. Occasionally, you'll see that mortar kick, um, but there's no there's no real risk reward to it outside that somebody's going to catch it. I mean, here we're talking about some pretty serious things. If you can keep it away from that returner and get that sucker to just kind of squirt through, um, you're talking about flopping that field and putting somebody back on the 15. Um, that's that's equivalent to that mortar kick and getting your deep, your, your your coverage team down deep and stopping that. Uh, definitely, definitely huge. I really like it. If I could add anything to it, 
Um, I love how you talked about onside kick. Everybody that that has read anything that I've ever written about about uh, rule changes in these leagues uh, knows that I love the onside conversion the AAF implemented. I would lo- I would so much rather see that in the X in the NFL and the XFL, 100%. But I would like to see something that arena football does to add to this risk reward. And if it, and that is simply if you can put that ball in the upright, you get a point, two points, whatever it is. But if you miss, that ball comes out to the 45 or something. Really, really add kind of this fun level of, I wonder if I can do it, but is it worth it? Um, since we're talking innovations and stuff, I would, I would absolutely love to see that <laughs> or something similar. All right, man, so give me something that you did not like as much uh, or something that, that you wouldn't mind if it went away or if they toned it down a bit. Well... Not to steal from you at all, but one of the things that I didn't like was just how the way that the sideline interviews were handled in general. Mm-hmm. Um, there was the, there was one interview where right after uh, right after New York Guardian scored that touchdown on the scoop and score, the reporters trying to uh, get the corner who scooped the ball up scored the touchdown in for an interview. As he's trying to head back out on the field because he, guess what he's back on defense. <laughs> I don't necessarily have a problem with trying to do the sideline interviews. But I do think what they need to do is they need to incorporate it in such a way as you have somebody who's situationally aware, which she was kind of lacking at the time. Like, more like, uh, for example, Pat McAfee in the, um, or Pat McAfee, rather, in the uh, Dallas Renegades game. He knew, you know, he has a football situational awareness because he's played the game his whole life and he knew when to stay out, when to, you know, when to commentate. And by and by all means, the funniest part of the whole thing was the back and forth him and Joey Galloway had about punters in the third quarter of that game. That was hilarious. But the other thing that I, I guess you could say I wasn't really disappointed by, well, I was disappointed, it's just not something I want to see get rid of. I was disappointed I didn't get to see anybody go for a three-point conversion this week. Very true. Very true. Yeah, we were actually looking that up a little bit ago, and uh, I guess I'll stay there. It's something I uh, did not like as much, and we'll just, I'm just going piggy right, to piggyback right off that three-point conversion. Uh, one of the things I was not a fan of is this uh, this NFL mentality that going for one is easier. Um, and in the NFL, it obviously is. Uh, success rates on PATs, even with moving it back, are far more significant like you know in the in the overall picture than it is for going for the two-point conversion um but the crazy part is is essentially an nfl two-point conversion is only worth one point in the xfl whereas you you move that ball back three yards which of quite a few teams would probably be willing to opt for if they could in the nfl um turns into the two-point conversion and then you move it back to the 10 you get the three-point conversion now the 10 point or the 10 yard three-point conversion definitely a tough call definitely a tough sell but uh we saw how ineffective a lot of these teams were going for the the normal one-point conversion from the two-yard line and then we saw the roughnecks who attempted only one one one-point conversion did not convert and then decided to go for four other two-point conversions which they converted two of um, statistically speaking, score-wise speaking, it just makes more sense. And you have that little bit of extra room to move back to the five-yard line, go for the two-point conversion. I think we see that next week. I think the one-point conversion will probably start to go away unless these games are super, super tight, in which case they'll start running these uh, 
these uh these the, much like the AAF eventually turned into most of the the one point conversion or the, for them it was a two point conversion play was uh was just that quarterback zone sneak type thing you know they they would just pull the ball and they would take it up the middle whatever it was almost like a quarterback draw play which is what we saw often but personally I think we're gonna see more two point conversion plays at least I hope that we start to see that I mean this is an innovative league that's the whole point of this thing I hope we get out of the boring mundane mon- mindset of one point is easier because in this league one point is not easier it is just as difficult as a two point conversion play from the NFL level. So why not take your chances, and if you convert one out of two two two-point conversions, it's just like you scored both one-point conversions. Might as well go for it. The statistics are are more or less on your side. You have a little bit of extra room to create separation. I agree with you. Uh, I would even be curious to start seeing some three-point conversion attempts. I I wouldn't be surprised if we see that next week. Again, I think a lot of jitters and just not understanding what the heck we're going to see had to do with this. So I'm very excited for that. That's something I definitely would have liked to see change as well. And then, of course, you you talked about um, the sideline interviews. I'm just going to say it. I said it on Twitter. I hate them. Get rid of them. I don't think they're worth it. Uh, it, it, To me, it actually detracts from the game because one thing that I did love about this league, and I never in a million years would have thought that I was going to say this, but I love the broadcast team. I thought that they were all phenomenal. They were having so much fun. It it brought the 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 the, the level of uh, of experience. I mean, you had experienced guys that call college games. They've called professional games. You have that level of, of knowledge and professionalism, and then they just toned it down a little bit. And they had fun. They were still giving you all the information you needed, but they were doing it in such a way that it was delivered that like I felt like I was listening to two buddies, two friends, chit chatting about the game. And to me, for this level of football, for what we're seeing here, that was perfect. I absolutely loved it. Um, I cannot wait to see what else. I mean, everything. The whole production was great. The graphics were phenomenal. I mean, just everything was so well done. I mean, you talked about it. It was. It happened to be one of the few parts I watched again of that of that uh, St. Louis game. Was. Uh, was was that punt that punt and, and watching uh, Joey Gallo uh, Joey Galloway is talking about how oh as, as offense we never want to see the punters so like you know you know we, we never really looked at them like they were like super skilled positions blah 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 we never wanted to see them and then that beautiful punt that puts the ball on like the one inch line with nobody touching it and then you know Ma- uh, Mc- uh, McAfee is is talking about it and, and, and just oh I remember Joey Galloway was just saying oh I don't like punters blah blah blah, blah you know. And just that little bit of like ribbon at each other was, to me, was phenomenal. Again, it it separated the NFL, which is this pr- professional production, uh, and rightfully so. Like that's the cream of the crop. You know, I know when we were talking about it off off air, I, I like it. I was like, that's link. You know, NFL is LinkedIn, and XFL is like Facebook or Instagram. You know what I mean? Like that's what it was. Like you have that separation. You know, NFL is the suit and tie. And, and, and XFL is the is the talking in your chat room with your buddy, talking on your podcast with your buddy, and, and having those jokes. I loved the production team and how everything went with that, the broadcasting and everything. Um, I can't wait to see more of it. I'm super excited. Um, next week, we've got some pretty solid games coming up. Um, some games that, honestly, to me, are really, I think, really going to set the tone for how these teams are going to end. And at the end of this year, we've got some big uh, uh, 
uh, potential to either make that run or really shore up some of the mistakes that we had. But next week, week two, our first game on Saturday is the New York Guardians and the D.C. Defenders. So we're going with uh, with two winning teams right off the bat. Um, two teams that really won because of defensive stuff too as well. I mean, let's not take away from that. Uh, two teams that really the defense is what set them apart. So can the offenses really get something rolling? And and are these defenses really uh, are, are these defenses really going to set the tone for these two games? Then uh, on Saturday evening, Saturday night um, time, you know, five o'clock, whichever whatever you want to call that, uh, we've got the Tampa Bay Vipers, Seattle Dragons. That's probably my favorite matchup for next week. Um, again, you have two teams that did really really well on offense. Uh, but made some mistakes. The the Dragons had the pick six and had the block punt to end up losing the game. And then, of course, the Vipers with like 8 million yards of offense and were like within a few yards of a touchdown time and time and time and time again and weren't able to do it. So which one of these teams is going to shore those things up? Who's going to separate and who's going to come out at 1-1 one and one and keep this thing alive? Who's going to falter and fall back to 0-2? and really uh, have to have an uphill battle in a short season uh, that you're going to see all these teams again super shortly. So that's a super important one uh, for me, or a really, really neat one for me. And honestly, the, the matchups on this, I don't know if they did this on purpose, but it worked out super well. Sunday, we've got the Renegades and the Wildcats. <laughs> uh, so again, two 0-1s going at it. So we've got 0-1, 1-0, 0-1, 0-1. And then, of course, the last the last game is the Seattle Battlehawks and the and the Houston Roughnecks. Um, so I'm gonna go ahead and ask you if you're if you want to if you're good with this and you think you can kind of see out in the future who do you have for these games? Who do you think is gonna win? Well, I think for the first game, the Guardians and the Defenders. That's gonna be a really interesting game to watch because you got uh, you got Cardell Jones going up against Matt McGloin, and I'm kind of interested to see. I think I mentioned in Week One the Guardians had. Five, it was either five or six sacks, and they had another eight hurries. I'm kind of interested to see if the Vipers' offensive line was that bad or if that defensive line is just that good. Because if that defensive line is just that good, Cardell Jones may be running for his life, and I'm going to take the Guardians in this one. Ooh. All right, going for the Guardians. What about you? Where do you see this one going? Um, that's a good question. I think... I'm going to lean defenders. I think the defenders uh, are going to be able to uh, – same deal, honestly. Um, I think that defense is really a stout defense for the defenders. Um, nothing really impressed me that much on the Guardians offensively, um, but I do think that Cardell Jones is going to be able to move that pocket around a little more than what we were able to see Aaron Murray do. Um, so I'm actually going to go with the defenders instead. So already we are uh, – we're at odds with each other, sir. How confident? How confident are you that your guardians are gonna win? Um, on a one to ten, I'd probably give it about a six. Six. See, I'm about an eight um, on the defenders. So, uh, I mean, I know that we've done these in the past for other different things, but uh, I'd be willing to throw a water bet on that. Water bet, huh? I, I would love to see that video you having to get squirted with a glass of water. Mm, that would be funny if the if the, you weren't playing the guardians and they were gonna lose. Hmm. So you taking me up on it? Yeah, I'll take you up on that. Boom. Done. Let's do it. Water bet. All right, go ahead. We're going to continue on. Uh, so, okay, you got Tampa Bay, Vipers. Now, keep in mind, Tampa Bay is on the road the first couple weeks. So you've got Tampa Bay on the road going across the world to Seattle. 
what uh, I mean, honestly, coast to coast here. I'm going from from New York to Seattle uh, to play the Dragons. Who are you going on this one? I don't know, man. This is probably one of the tougher matchups I see on there. Um, looking at Tampa Bay, like I said, they've they've definitely got their issues. They've got to fix. They've they've got to be able to get the ball in, into the end zone once you get into the red zone. Unfortunately, you just don't get points for getting it to the five yard line. As much as I would love to see it, it just doesn't happen. Um, but on the other side, Seattle had a Seattle had a decent game last week. They just made they again they got bit by the Tampa Bay bug where they had too many mistakes. And home field advantage actually seemed like it mattered in week one. That's a very good, very good point. But that said, I think I'm going to have to go as the hometown guy and pick Tampa Bay. Mm. So going with the Vipers. This is a tough one. And I will allow you to ch- make a change if you would like. Because I am going to go with a caveat here. I think the Dragons win. If, and only if, the Vipers do not commit to quitting Flowers for Week 2. I think if they commit to Flowers for Week 2, I think this Vipers team uh, has a chance to absolutely dominate. Not just this week, but in this league. But uh, I don't know, because again, outside of the Roughnecks and out of necessity, the Wildcats, everybody's playing their Tier 1. And I think that we're kind of just, I think you're going to get... you're going to see that 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 tunnel vision of, well, that's the Tier 1. That's the Tier 1, regardless of what the other guys are doing. Um, so I'm going to now put the Dragons. I, I've got, I'm going to go with the Dragons now until we start to see a little bit of, of talk about uh, depth chart. But I do believe that if they commit to Flowers or at least talk about getting him some more packages in this system, I, there's a very good chance I'm going to switch to the Vipers. But I think this, and keep in mind, I am the the biggest Georgia Bulldogs fan you're going to find. Aaron Murray is one of my favorite players of all freaking time for Georgia. But I just, I just, I just can't be sold on the guy right now. Uh, I mean, keep in mind, he's been out of football for a couple of years, with the exception of a few game stint that he played with the Legends last year, where he didn't look that great even then. Um, But I'm going to go with Dragons for now. Um... And I will be checking the the depth chart. So when we post our article for our predictions, um, I might have switched to the Vipers, depending on what we see with Quentin Flowers. But I will move over to Sunday games. Dallas Renegades, L.A. Wildcats. They are in L.A., by the way. So in L.A. They are in L.A. Okay. Um, Man, for this one, I think it's going to be hard for me to go against Dallas. I I got a gut feeling that when uh, Landry Jones is coming back this week and – I felt like from watching the Battlehawks and the Renegades, it looked like it looked like Dallas was trying to play a very conservative game because they weren't sure how much they trusted their quarterback just yet. So that said, with Landry Jones coming in, I think Dallas wins this game. I am going to go with the same. I, I think that this will be our first uh, definite agreement. I'm going to go with the Renegades, especially with Jones, uh, but even with Nelson. I think that they, if for whatever reason something happens, I think that even with a Philip Nelson, that they'll be able to. Uh, to take the, the the victory on this um not that that wildcats team is bad but again you're talking about a guy that even by week two is only going to have nine ten practices under his belt um and then again the the return of landry jones uh with stoops is just to me is just too far too appealing 
um, to, to let that one go. And so we'll move on to the very last one, St. Louis Battlehawks versus the Houston Roughnecks. We are in Houston. Would I be wrong in saying this is probably the best game? Of, I feel like this has potential to be the best game this week. Would I be wrong in saying that? I don't think so. Yeah, I was thinking it's probably between New York, New York and DC, or St. Louis and Houston. But I'm I'm really excited for this game for a couple of different reasons. First off, it looks like uh, it looks like each one of these teams is going to have a differing style to them. Houston's going with that wide open passing attack, and they got a quarterback that looks like they can pull it off. And then you got Seattle that, like I said, when I watched them Sunday, they they seem to be committed to ground and pound football, with a little bit of a caveat, and they seem to be uh, they seem to be sold on the balanced uh, the balanced attack. So it kind of reminds me of some of those old school games you used to see between Oregon and Stanford. Mm. When you had when you had Oregon with Marcus Mariota and Stanford with Andrew Luck, and you had one team that was just very 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 traditional, and the other team that just put speed out everywhere. Kind of reminds me of that a little bit, but that said, I think um, I think we saw it in college, and I think we're going to see it that the the speed and the wide openness usually won. So I'm going to go with Houston. I am also going to go with Houston, and to, just really quick to really hit. Um, I like how you talked about the differing styles. So while you were talking, I went ahead and pulled this up just to give you an idea on differing styles. The net rushing yards for the Battlehawks was 191 yards, and for the Roughnecks it was 50. However, the passing yards was 265 in favor of Houston to only 183 for the Battlehawks. So yeah, definitely um, a tale of of two stories here, two different offensive approaches. Um, and I, I will say though, however, that that uh, the Battlehawks. Uh, one thing they got going for them is is the 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 overall balance. I mean, 191 rushing, 183 passing. Um, I mean, they were able to run. I, I, I don't really have the plays in front of me as to how many were which, um, but definitely uh, they've got that balance. But I'm going to go with the Roughnecks as well. I think PJ Walker is just going to continue this. Um, I know it's it's stupid to even talk about this this early, but. Uh, if this kid can keep this up, we've got our, an easy front runner for this league's MVP uh, in PJ Walker, which again is what the XFL is about. This is a guy that was not a tier one. He beat out the tier one and then balled out, and we're talking about him still as going in there and putting a beating down uh, on these different teams. So, all right, man, that's all I've got. Is there anything you've got for the love of the show? No, man, I think we covered everything I wanted to talk about. All right. Um, so, yeah, me, me too. I've got everything. So, really quick, uh, you can follow. Uh, this is uh, We're going to go push this through Ambush Sports. So, you can follow Ambush Sports on Twitter. That's just at Ambush Sports. You can follow me at Bearded Moose, but that's with double zeros. So, you're M00SE. Um, you can follow me on Twitter there. Uh, we do have Instagram as well, Facebook, just Ambush Sports, um, everything Ambush Sports related. Check out the website, ambushsportsnetwork.com, and plug me your socials, bro. You there? Did I lose you? Oh, oh, my, my bad. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at, at the outlaw with an e, with a three instead of an E, because, you know, that's how we do things. And you can follow me on Facebook at, at Jesse Dice. At Jesse Dice. And that's not D I C E, my friends. That's D Y E 
S-S. Die-Ez, if it helps you out. All right, man, thanks for jumping on. Thank you all for listening. This was fun. We will be back, I don't know, maybe at the end of this week and do some review, uh, some correction, some preview, and then we'll we'll, uh, we'll have another review up after week two. Um, you know, Feel free to drop any comments. Tell us who you think is going to win on Twitter. Tell us who the heck your favorite team is. It's all cool to me. Um, tell me if your team's 1-0, 0-1, or are they going to go 0-2 or 2-0. That's the coolest part about this next week is you're either going to be 2-0 or you're going to be 0-2 or you're going to be 1-1. Who knows? It's going to be fun. Uh, so thanks again for the Bearded Moose and the Outlaw Podcast. We'll see you guys later on. See you guys next time. Hype game too strong. Hype game too strong. When they see me, all they say is hype game too strong. Hype game too strong. Hype game too strong. When they see me, all they say is hype game too strong. I'm in the streets. Hype in the church. Hype